Hi, and welcome to Applewood Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. If you are new to our podcast or maybe new to our church in general, none of us have it together, but we're here to worship the one who holds us together, and that is Jesus Christ. We hope that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and strengthens your heart as you continue your walk with Christ. So let's join Pastor Derek for today's message. I mean, together, 2020, we have all faced some incredible challenges. I was thinking about reflecting this past year. Here are some of the challenges that we have faced together and things that have occurred in 2020. The worldwide COVID-19 pandemic. It came in 2020. We're still living through it. The multitude of riots and protests. Cities being destroyed, businesses being looted in a way where we see it so much, it's like it doesn't shock us as much anymore. It's kind of a reality of 2020. Autonomous zones being created, rebelling against the government or any authority. In 2020, we've seen one, if not the most controversial election in our country's history impeachment attempt of Donald Trump, and it failed, but we saw that. West Coast wildfires, Australian wildfires, Colorado wildfires. 2020, we've seen our constitution and religious freedoms being challenged like never before. Free speech, as we sit here, is being challenged like never before. In 2020, murder hornets arrived in the U.S., Have any of you seen pictures of those things? All right, they're here. Chief Justice Ginsburg, she died. Basketball legend Kobe Bryant died. And Prince Harry and Meghan quit the royal family. Many more happened in 2020. These are just some of them. Praise God this year is coming to an end. We are all hopeful that 2021 will be a little bit easier to take. As tradition stands, the end of the year, we all like to reflect on what has happened, to draw conclusions, to reflect on important lessons that we learned from this year to take into next year. And likewise, we're going to be looking at a text where we get a look into the last moments of John the Baptist's ministry and life as it's coming to its end. And John the Baptist delivers one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture where he says, I must decrease and he must increase. His words reveal the importance of humility in life and the secret to overcoming jealousy. So church, I am excited, I hope you are, to dive into God's word as we close out 2020. If you would, please open your Bibles to John 3. We're going to be finishing the chapter starting at verse 22. John chapter 3 starting at verse 22. Please feel free to follow along in your Bibles or on the screens above. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Enon, near Salim, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been overthrown, thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. 
John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. As we finish out chapter 3, my message falls under three subheadings this morning. First, we're going to see beware of jealousy knocking at the door of your heart. Second, we're going to see John the Baptist's cure for jealousy. And lastly, we're going to see John the Baptist's final invitation. So let's start. Beware the jealousy knocking at the door of your heart. Look at verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them, baptizing. So verse 22 starts with after these things. After what things? After all the things we've just read in chapter 3, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. After Jesus clears the temple because they turned it in to a business instead of a place of worship. After his miraculous signs that he is doing, his public ministry has now started. Jesus is moving. He's revealing himself in supernatural ways. After his conversation with Nicodemus, where he tells this religious man, you need to be born again. And after the Passover, after all of these things, what does Jesus and his disciples do? They leave Jerusalem and they head north to the countryside. And what are they doing in the countryside? John says Jesus is preaching the gospel, and Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. People are responding to the gospel. We know next week in chapter 4, Jesus isn't the one doing the baptisms. His disciples are, but God is moving. People are here, and the kingdom is now here. And at the same time, look at verse 23. At the same time, Jesus and his disciples are making Baptisms and baptizing people. At the same time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Enon, near Salem. It's a different location. We don't know exactly where John the Baptist and his disciples are, somewhere in Samaria. The word means much water, river, fountain. So wherever they are, there's a lot of water there, and people are still coming to John the Baptist for baptism as well. So the Gospel John, he gives us this picture of both of their ministries are coexisting. They're happening at the same time. They're overlapping. And notice what the Gospel writer John says. He says, this happens before John the Baptist had been thrown in prison. Why is that there? It's kind of random that the Gospel John, or the writer John writes that. Here's why. Matthew and Mark, they record right after Jesus was baptized John the Baptist gets imprisoned. 
And their writings were around for 30 years before the Gospel of John is written. So he's reminding his readers, hey, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. This happened in the time between Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist was arrested. And look at verse 25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. So as John the Baptist and his disciples are doing ministry, a Jew shows up and starts talking to John the Baptist's disciples. And what are they talking about? Purification. And we don't know exactly what the argument or dialogue was about. We're not told. But most likely, the Jew was wondering, whose baptism is is better? I mean, the Jew must have heard about Jesus. Jesus' ministry is growing by the day. People know that Jesus is doing signs and wonders. People are going to Jesus and his disciples now for baptism. So the Jew probably talking to John the Baptist's disciples saying, "What, what, what baptism is more important? Which one cleanses? And how did John's disciples respond? This frustrated them. Have you ever walked away from a conversation? You're just kind of frustrated. Here's John the Baptist's disciples. They're frustrated. And they go to John the Baptist. Look at verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John's disciples are upset. They hear word that more people are going to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized. And John's disciples are mad. They're mad against Jesus. And notice they don't call Jesus by name or they don't call him Messiah. What do they say to John? You know, the one who is with you, the one who you testified about, they are distressed that Jesus' ministry is growing and their ministry is fading. They're almost irritated with John the Baptist. Like, do something. You're the one who did this. You're the one that pointed to Jesus. Remedy the situation. And notice their complaint. Everyone is going to Jesus now. And that's not true. People were going to them still. But you could tell they're irritated. They exaggerate it. And in their hearts, Jesus now has become a threat. He was taking attention away from them. Their ministry was coming to an end. And you you see jealousy fill the heart of John the Baptist's disciples. And this jealousy has blinded them. It's blinded them to their very message. I mean, the very message of John the Baptist was, the greater one is here. The Messiah is here. God himself is here. And yet jealousy has blinded them to the even the message that they were preaching. Not only has jealousy blinded them to the message, it blinded them to their purpose. Their purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus and then get out of the way. And yet in their hearts, they're mad because they don't want to get out of the way. They want the attention. No one has to teach us to be jealous. We know throughout Scripture that jealousy, envy is part of our fallen fleshly nature. It's pride. John's disciples, their hearts are filled with pride. They're mad because of what they are losing. They're not excited for what the world is gaining. The Messiah is here. And their hearts are filled with jealousy. And God warns us of the dangers of jealousy that as we sit here, it's knocking at the door of our hearts. We see the warnings in the Old Testament. I read Proverbs. Think of the Ten Commandments. He warns us against coveting or jealousy. 
Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, rebukes them for walking in the flesh. If we're jealous, we're envious, and we're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Writing to the church in Corinth, Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 3, for you are all still fleshly, for since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am Apollos, are you not mere men? Paul is speaking to the church. And he's saying, you guys are walking in your flesh. Instead of proclaiming the message that the Messiah is here, he lived, he died, and rose again, and fighting for unity, you're focusing on yourselves and this leader and that leader and that leader, and you're attacking each other. All why? Because of jealousy and envy and pride. They became blind to the mission and purpose. I mean, how could it be that John the Baptist's disciples are now blinded, their eyes are closed to the very Son of God that they were supposed to be preparing the way for? Friends, we must be aware of jealousy. Recognize that its poison is slow. And what does jealousy do? It robs us of our joy. It robs us of our purpose. We start looking at other people's lives and we, we want what they have or we, we covet what they have and we forget the purpose of our very life is to live for the glory of God. And if our hearts become filled with jealousy, most often we look at the things around us and our hearts become ungrateful. On Christmas Day, we were opening up presents our two oldest, Kai is eight, Dima is six, if you're new here, we're opening presents. And some of you parents know and grandparents know, when you have kids similar ages and you buy one of them a present, what do you do? You buy the other a present because you don't want to enable the flesh and have jealousy and rage, right, during the holidays. So for Dallas and I, we're buying presents and we're buying two of everything for Kai and Dima. And somehow in the hustle and bustle of the day, we're opening up presents. We forget what is which and whose is who. And Kai and Dima, we each gave them a present. And Kai opens his present, and it's this nice fishing pole. And he's super excited. And Dima opens his present, and he sees it's a remote control car, which he wanted. But when he looked and he saw his brother got a fishing pole, how do you think Dima responded? His smile turned to a frown. And even though he wanted that remote control car, when he saw what his brother got, a fishing pole, that remote control car, it's like it didn't exist. Doesn't matter anymore. He's blinded to his own present. Little did he know, just a few moments later, mom and dad would get it right and we put a fishing pole in his hand. And then how did he respond? He's happy. So we're thinking about our boys. Aren't we all like that sometimes? We look around and we see what God is doing in other people's lives and ministry, and we get upset that the same or better things are not happening to us all in our lives at the same time. And we look around and we can see and we want that and we're jealous. And then all of that God has blessed us with, our wives, our family, everything, we tend to lose our joy and gratitude for that. Church, may we examine our hearts this morning as 2020 is coming to a close. Father, is there any jealousy in my heart right now that's causing me to lose sight of my purpose, my message, and all that you have blessed 
me with? Is there anything that I'm envying that's causing my joy to be stolen? Jealousy was knocking at the door, John the Baptist's heart. How did he respond as his disciples are saying, John, do something. Jesus' ministry is growing. Look how he responds. He has a remedy for jealousy. In verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given from heaven. Isn't this amazing? John doesn't say, you know what? You're right. I'm great. I'm amazing. We got to do something about it. We need, to, we need to build our ministry. We're in competition to Jesus. No, he doesn't take the bait. He has all the ingredients to become jealous and to battle Jesus and compete with Jesus. Church, remember who he is. He was the one who got to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist, he was better than everyone. He was filled with the Spirit from birth. He had a huge following, committed disciples, charismatic. Jesus says he's the greatest man ever to live. And when his disciples were saying, do something, your ministry is shrinking. Jesus is growing. He doesn't take the bait. What does he do? He reminds his disciples and he reminds us this morning of three truths that protect our hearts from jealousy. And church, if we believe these three truths, these are the remedies for jealousy finding its way in our heart. What's the first one? John the Baptist reminded them that God is sovereign over the outcome of his life. That's what he says in verse 27. A man can receive nothing unless it is given to him. I love this. John the Baptist says, God is sovereign. God is in control. I don't need to be jealous of Jesus' ministry or your ministry. Why? Because God is the giver of all things. We are the recipients. We are subordinate to him. He realized that God had given him a, sp a specific ministry, a place, and a time. And who was he to get mad at God that he was fading out of the scene? This was God's perfect will. And it is God who gives every good thing, every good ministry. James 1 picks up on this, 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. John reminds his disciples in his own heart of God's sovereignty. May it be true for us when we start getting tempted to be jealous of other people's things. May we remember the biblical truth that God is sovereign. He's given you, Marty, exactly what you're supposed to have today. This is his glory. He is in control. He has provided us. May we understand the life that you have this morning. Guess what? It's a gift from God. He gave it to you. The genes you have, he's given it to you. The 18 years of life, Ben, that you have today, he's given it to you. The family that you have, he's given it to you. The opportunities that you have, God has provided them. You live in this place at this time with these opportunities. The families you have, they're not by accident. God is sovereign. The kids you have, the grandkids you have, the resources you have, God is sovereign over all of it. How does that help understanding God's sovereignty? Because when you start getting tempted to look at other people and say, I deserve that, I deserve that, if only I had that house or that car or if I was in that office at work and had that job title or I should have been given those gifts. What does that say 
when we start thinking and believing those lies, who are we complaining about? We're complaining to God. I should have had that, and I wish you made me wrong. I should have been like, Steve, what are we saying? You don't know what you're doing. You messed up. Look at my life. I should be like that. And we're challenging the sovereignty of God. And John the Baptist says, listen, I'm not jealous. Why? Because God's given me a specific ministry and a specific time, and I'm going to trust in God's sovereignty. What a remedy to jealousy. Contentment. Trusting that your father is good. He's good. Not only did he realize that God is sovereign, but he realized that he was not the main character in the story. Look at verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He rebukes his disciples. And he says, you guys are my witnesses. This whole time, I am not the Christ. I'm not worthy enough to untie the sandals of the Christ. It's not about me or you. Who is it about, church? Jesus. And John knows this. So when jealousy comes knocking at his heart, he rebukes it because he knows who he is. And it's not about him. He says, my job is to just point people to him. What a great reminder in 2020. Life is not about us. Life was about us before we were saved. It was all about us. We did whatever we want. When our eyes are open to see the glory of God, it's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. There's an amazing redemptive story taking place. Right now, as we sit here, God is in the process of redeeming the world. And here's the big good news. We're not the main character of this story. The son is. And John understood that. May we understand that as well. And notice what he does. He gives the example of a wedding. What does he say? He says, I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the groom. How incredible is that? John says, there's a groom. It's not me. I'm just the friend of the groom. What's the friend of the groom do? It's similar to the best man. Oversaw many of the details of the wedding, the master of ceremonies. What's the friend of the groom? What's his main purpose? To make sure the groom and the bride meet and get married. And that is what John is saying. My purpose in life is to unite the bride with the groom. This is my responsibility and to get out of the way and to celebrate the groom. And the same is true for our lives. What are, what's our responsibility? Share the gospel and allow the bride of Christ Christ to meet the groom and to get out of the way, to preach Christ, die and be forgotten. May that be our goal. We know the Bible is clear throughout both testaments that Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. And there's people that are part of the bride that they don't even know it yet that God has called. It's predestined. He's called them. And yet what's our job is to preach the gospel so that those who God has called to be a part of the bride will meet the groom. And guess what? Paul, he might use you today to do it as you preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit illuminated to someone, your friend, your coworker, and you introduce the bride to the groom and you celebrate and you pat yourself on the back. No, who gets the glory? The groom. 
so many people, listen church, hear my heart. So many people are waking up tomorrow and they have no purpose. They are lost. They have the houses and the money and the cars. And yet in their heart, they're longing for something so much more. They're longing for purpose. And we have the gospel. And what's the purpose? Live for the groom. Share it. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Because there is a wedding feast. Just like the groom has come, there is a wedding feast waiting to happen. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelations 19.7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. What is God saying to the church? You get out of bed today because there are people invited to this supper that God wants to use you to illuminate this truth to for them to see the groom this is our purpose and may a church may we embrace this and live for this like never before may we not desire comfort and prosperity in this world all of that is good but may we desire our purpose to unite the bride to the groom and may he use you this year in 2021 like never before God's given each of you a circle of influence. People that don't give me the time of day, Tara, that love you, not me. And God's going to use you, may he use you like never before. And people are going to reject it. And a lot of times we allow the rejection to stop us and discourage us. But may we remember that, yes, people are going to reject it, but also people will receive it. How do I know? You're sitting here. Someone shared it with you. You didn't reject it. So he says, one of the remedies, realizing God is sovereign, another remedy is realizing I'm not the main character in this story. I don't need to be jealous of anyone. But notice what he says, his last remedy, his true joy is when we are working for him. Look at verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made in full. He must increase and I must de decrease. Church, hear the words of the Lord. You want joy? You want joy? Love God. Live for him. Picture John's disciples. They're mad. They have no joy. They're mad. Why? Because Jesus is outshining them. And here John the Baptist is saying, whoa, you know what true joy is? Understanding who I am in Christ and living for him. John the Baptist, this, is, this position we have is a blessing. There's no other position that would bring as much joy. And he says, I must decrease, he must increase. What, it's one of the most humble statements in all of scripture. Here's the secret. Here's the secret. God created you and I with a desire in our heart for satisfaction. 
And here's the answer. It's not in the world. It's not in a new kitchen or a new car or a new house or a new vacation or a new job or more money or more kids. That's not where joy is found. Where is joy found? Living for him, becoming less and allowing Christ to become more. Church, I'm excited. Are you with me this morning? May we see this. May we be different. The world is preaching the opposite. When you walk out of these doors, you're going to hit. You're going to be hit. You want joy? Have more. Become more, Dan. Build your business greater. Have more. Do this. It's all a lie. You have the wisest person, the most successful person to ever live, King Solomon. What does he say in Scripture, Dan? He says, all of this. I've built parks and pools and houses and pleasures, and guess what? It's all chasing after the sun. It's in the Bible. But we have other proof. Some of you are going to go to the grocery store today. When you're checking out, I want you to look at the magazine covers. You got all these people that have all of these things, and yet their lives are miserable. So not only is the Bible saying, no, true joy is in Christ, the world is preaching too. Listen, it's fake. It doesn't work. When I was in college at CSU, doing college ministry, and I had some pastors just in my life, affirm, Pastor Derek, you should go to seminary. I was finishing a business degree. I wanted to go into the business world. I had a job with a company in Colorado. And at some of my mentors, they said, Derek, pray about going to seminary. And I was torn. I didn't know what to do. I remember just calling out to the Lord, what do you want me to do? And one night I show up to our college gathering. It was a Sunday night. And this young man comes walking in the door. And Tim, he was a cool guy, kind of a frat guy. I saw him on campus. I knew of him. And he came walking the door. A friend brought him. And you can tell he wanted nothing to do with any of us. He was just like, where am I? What am I doing? And as the worship starts playing, God was just moving. The gospel was preached that night. We did the invitation. Guess who raised his hand? This young man. Accepts the Lord. Is, is crying. That was the coolest thing. After we ended the night, all of us from this college ministry, we drive up to Horsetooth Reservoir, and we baptize him. And the joy was incredible. I remember driving back. It's late in the night, and I'm sitting by myself in my car, and I just start weeping tears of joy. I didn't even know that was possible. Some of you know what I'm talking about, where you could be so overwhelmed with joy that your eyes are flowing water, and I'm sitting in my car, and I'm so joyful, not because of anything we did, but because God is real, and he changes lives. And this young man, to this day, is still with the Lord, and he's serving in his church. And I remember sitting in my car, and that was the moment where I realized nothing in this world can compare to the joy to serve the king. And I surrender my life. And I know many of you, you've experienced this joy 
This is what God wants us to experience. He's a good, good father. Even in suffering, God doesn't want us miserable. Many of us picture God as like this mean father who just wants us miserable. No, he has abundant joy. But what does it take for us to get over ourselves and to listen and follow him? May it be the testimony of our church that people come in this place. And what do they experience? Kevin, that they would look in your eyes, brother, and see a joy that the world can't provide. We've seen that jealousy's knocking at our door. We've seen John the Baptist, his ways to overcome jealousy. The last thing we're going to see is John the Baptist's final message. Look at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. This is incredible. This is John the Baptist's final message. Most people agree this is, these are his last words. His whole ministry is pointing to Jesus. This is, it's coming to an end. What does he say? You can picture him. As a rabbi, looking at his disciples who have let jealousy blind them, and what does he do? He doesn't slap them and tell them to get over themselves. He illuminates Jesus to hope that now they see again. And soon he will be arrested and killed. What does he say in his last words? In verse 31, he says, Jesus has a heavenly origin and is above all. I am simply a man, John the Baptist says. I'm a man. I'm born of the earth. There is one, the Jesus Christ. He's the eternal word. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He reassures them of the message that he's been preaching this whole time, that Christ is fully God and fully man. And he came from heaven. And he tells them, He's a reliable witness. Look at verse 32 through 34. He's like, Jesus is reliable. Believe in him. Believe what he says. He doesn't speak on speculation with empty philosophies. He is the word. His witness is reliable. He has the full measure of the Holy Spirit. When he speaks, he's speaking as God. Listen to him. Do you believe that? That he's from heaven? That when he speaks, it's the word of God. And then he closes in 35. He says, he has heavenly authority. There is one who has authority, friends. It's not me, John the Baptist says. It's Jesus. He has absolute sovereign authority. Jesus is Lord over all in heaven and earth. There is a king. Every knee will bow. And his name is Jesus. And this is what John the Baptist says. He's heavenly. He speaks as if he's God because he is God. And he is the one that is in authority. May we become less. And after his humiliation on the cross, we know that God exalts him. We see in Ephesians 1. God seated him at the right hand, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, name that is above every name. And God put all things in subjection under his feet. These are John's last words. He preaches the son. And notice what he says in verse 36. 
He says there's two options. Here's his invitation to his disciples and to us this morning. He said the word of God is here. The word of God is spoken. Now every man or woman, there's two options. One, he says in verse 36, you're going to believe in the son. You're going to love the son. You're going to obey the son. You're going to follow the son. You're going to experience a joy that this world can't offer. And your true reward is eternal life. Those are who believe. He says there's also, in verse 36, those who do not believe. Those, even right now, are watching online where you are hearing the shepherd's voice saying, I love you. I've given my life for you. Follow me. And instead of surrendering to the shepherd's voice, you say in your heart, there is no shepherd. I'm on my own. And what does he say, the result of that? John the Baptist is not ashamed. He says, you will continue to experience the wrath of God and eventually the second death that Revelation talks about. Joshua, when he ended his life, he said this, friends, choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day whose voice you're going to follow. I challenge all of you, us, in 2021, may you remind yourself that God is sovereign and in control going into this new year, that God is master of our lives, and he will provide the answers to our prayers in his timing, not ours. May we be reminded in 2021 that we're not the main character of this redemptive story, but that we would keep looking up to the author and perfecter of our faith. And may our cry be, Lord, help me become less this upcoming year than more. And may we as a church and you personally and your family experience the true joy of living for the groom.